This is Sex Ed Debunked, a cross-generational podcast hosted by mother-daughter duo, Christine and Channing Curley, where we talk about all the things you learned or didn't learn in sex ed and where it all went wrong. From the abstinence curriculum to the monogamy myth and the vast spectrum of rainbow representation, we'll get real about sex positivity and catch you up on everything from proper anatomy to the holistic benefits of a great sex life. Tune in to Sex Ed Debunked wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, and welcome to Sex Ed Debunked, a podcast about comprehensive sex ed, sex positivity, and why starfish wasn't a position included in the Kama Sutra. Um, starfish? What's that? <laughs> oh, uh, starfish is a position where someone usually female just lays there and unmoving <laughs> okay well you know, like is, a starfish that is the perfect it didn't imagery. make the final cut for the kama sutra <laughs> that's the perfect imagery for this episode <laughs> thank you for that shannon hey you're welcome we're all learning here uh well we're your hosts christine and shannon curly thanks for tuning in today we'll be continuing the conversation about asking for what you want and the myth that your partner should know what you want And what I mean by that is the expectation that just because you're in a relationship with someone who loves you and hopefully likes you and cares about you, they should have all your sexual needs and wants and desired figured out. Yeah, because whether you're in a new relationship or an established one with a long-term partner or a new one, it's not up to your partner to have to guess all of your needs. And as we often talk about on the show, a lot of it comes down to establishing um, really good habits in your relationships early on. And of course, some relationships have already been established for a while. And so you might have to backtrack a little bit. But the sooner that you can in a relationship normalize conversations around sex and intimacy and revisiting what does and doesn't work with your partner, the better off your relationship or your situationship or your waivership or whatever will be. Exactly. And this acknowledgement is is important because I've um, often been asked, like, well, what about long-term relationships? Well, about long-term relationships is you always want to learn new things, right? You want to learn new things as an individual. You also want to learn new things in your relationships. So it's never too late to learn to communicate, even if you've been in a relationship like I have for over 35 years. Not to age yourself. No, no. But I want to point out that a lot of this stuff was new to me maybe 10 years ago, too. I wasn't always the best communicator. I wouldn't say I was a starfish, (laughs) (laughs) but I certainly may have had ideas that I didn't communicate as clearly as perhaps I should have back in the day. Um, So whether you're in a new relationship or an established one, sexual communication is critical to a sexually satisfying experience. And Um, this is, you know, a lot of what your research has been about, right? Exactly. Um, There's so much research, um, especially within the last 10 years or so, that's looking at couples who communicate better about everything are more sexually satisfied. But couples who communicate specifically about their sexual needs and wants and desires have higher levels of sexual satisfaction and also higher levels of relationship satisfaction. So it all is kind of intertwined in your relationship. When we talked last time, um, we mentioned that most of the research was about non or was about cisgendered folks and didn't really include non-binary folks. So when we're talking about this research where couples who communicate are more sexually satisfied, is that typically looking at 
heteronormative couples or is there more research beyond that looking at different types of relational um, well, in, dynamics? In this area, actually, in the area of sexual communication, they have expanded beyond the heteronormative um, sexual dynamics, if you will. And not um, there is some little bits of research on gay and bisexual, um, much more research on lesbian relationships and same-sex relationships. That's because women are more likely to be participants in research. <laughs> I think so. And more likely to communicate, too. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's a study that's advertised as sexual communication in relationships, you don't not necessarily going to have a lot of men show up on communication research anyway. Um, that said, in the gay community, there is some sexual communication. Um, unfortunately, a lot of that talks about communication around safe sex as opposed mm -hmm. to communication around pleasure. And really what we're talking about here in this episode is communicating about healthy sexuality, healthy pleasure. Um, communication about safe sex is certainly critical and certainly important, um, but that's not really the focus of today's episode. Right, because prevention and pleasure aren't the same thing. Right, right. And so when we're talking Although there is a fair amount of research on sexual communication in same-sex relationships, a lot of the communication about uh, the research about the barriers to good communication are unfortunately centered on heterosexual relationships. So mm -hmm. for this portion of the more quote-unquote academic discussion, most of the research is in fact um, centered on heterosexual relationships. And, and that's the research where we're looking about heterosexual scripts as it is a huge part of sexuality in our culture. Mm -hmm. So I think for some of our listeners who have maybe studied sociology or studied psychology, the idea of scripts or like behavioral scripts in general um, is just describing the idea of how we're expected to act in social situations, right? Um, exactly. So when a, a sexual script presumably is along those same lines. Well, what they say is a sexual script is how we act in the bedroom. So it's the roles that society well, how we're tells expected us. or taught to act in the bedroom. Well, we're taught, and unfortunately, what we're taught is is tends to be what we do, <laughs> because right. it's what we see and what what we've we've expected as a norm. And when I talk about barriers to sexual communication, the script provides a barrier because it's hard to break out of that norm. Right? It's hard to break out of norms about anything. So it's like you know, in Usher's famous song, Yeah, where he says he wants a lady in the street but a freak in the bed. That's actually just describing a sexual script. <laughs> yeah, uh, not necessarily a good one. <laughs> um, but more generally speaking, outside of Usher's um, characterization of the sexual scripts in the bedroom. Listen, you don't understand how foundational Usher was. <laughs> You're right, I don't. <laughs> I'm sure I have other touchstones that are a little bit, uh, that maybe older, but probably similar in terms of the expectations, right? The expectations that the man is supposed to be dominant. The man is supposed to pursue sex. The man is, the man is supposed to want it. And the woman is supposed to be submissive mm -hmm. and also to be happy with whatever she gets in the, in the bedroom. I mean, we are a society, sadly, up until probably pretty recently, and some would argue still today, that we're much more focused on the pleasure of men than we are on the pleasure of women. And so what's happened in the sexual scripts is that, damn, I'm thinking about this starfish imagery again, and you're so right. The sexual script is that the woman is the starfish and hoping like, ooh, is he going to get it right? 
Is he going to mm-hmm. hit that spot? Maybe, maybe if I think really, really hard enough, he'll move move over an inch and hit that part that's really pleasurable. Um, and the script is telling women to be submissive. And the research uh, research shows that women who embrace these sexual scripts around sexual roles in the bedroom experience less sexual autonomy. And yeah, you guessed it. Yep, you guessed it. You guessed it. And guess what? The flip side's the same. I was going to say, yeah, and I'm sure. Well, and I think that because there is the sexual script and the sexual expectation that women are submissive, there's also the sexual script and the expectation that men are in control and men are supposed to know what they're doing. Exactly. And again, sorry, we're, let me just pause again. We are not intentionally being extremely, extremely straight and hetero washed when we're talking about this. It's just, again, in line with some of the research, this is where, you know, the studies have found these results of, you know, less sexual satisfaction with poor communication. Um, We obviously acknowledge that there are other kinds of partnerships between non-binary folk, between same-sex couples. But um, as we continue to talk about it, if we keep saying men and women, we are not intentionally being exclusive. We're just talking colloquially in the context of this research. Yeah, it's definitely um, in the context of the research because this is where, unfortunately, most studies are done. Um, I had a very long conversation. I was at a poster presentation the other night. And really what's happened, unfortunately, is a lot of the research around sexual minority relationships focuses on stigma and focuses Mm -hmm. on minority stress and doesn't focus enough on things like sexual communication and sexual pleasure and the good parts of sex. But that does not mean that the research around sexual communication isn't equally applicable across Mm -hmm. genders and across orientations. Fortunately, a lot of the research talking about same-sex relationships have less of the sexual scripts because the roles aren't clear as much. So they are not as impacted by this barrier, but there's still in our society an expectation that women are supposed to be more submissive. Mm-hmm. And so that still does impact in a negative way. And like you said, conversely, men are supposed to be more assertive. Um, and the research shows that men who ascribe to these social sexual scripts around having to be assertive and having to be masculine also experience less satisfaction, less sexual satisfaction in the bedroom, which I find pretty remarkable research because I think there's a presumption that men always get what they want and women are always hoping for more. Mm -hmm. And the research suggests that Men want more, too. They just want something different. And they're also held back by social norms in expressing exactly what they want. It reminds me of the episode of Broad City when Abby is pining after Jeremy, her neighbor, across the hall, and they finally hook up, and he asks if she'll peg him. And (laughs) she's so excited about it because she's just like, oh, my God, he asked for what I wanted. I've always wanted to do this. Guys are never open to this. And it's a really funny episode because it does kind of tackle, though, like that openness and communication with with a partner. And in that context, it was a new partner. But in that show, like, he defies that sexual script and says, well, actually, this is something I like. I like being the submissive one. And it kind of blows Abby's mind. And she's super into it, which is great. It wasn't like a, he asked me to do this. And it was weird. She's like, he asked me to do this. And it's awesome. Well, and it kind of it kind of harkens back to our, our episode last week, right? Being Being able to ask what you want and having your partner having the courage and that vulnerability is so exciting. But I think what this brings up, because yes, you're right, is also the expectation that you're supposed to know how to do the things that your partner asks you to do. 
like I'm thinking of, I always do this in our episodes where I'm like, ooh, media references, but hey, I study communications. This is what I do is I think of mass media. But it reminds me of the movie Trainwreck with Amy Schumer and John Cena when what she wants is him to talk dirty. That's how she wants to switch things up. And she's like, talk dirty to me. And he's like, uh, uh, I don't really want to. And she's like, please, it's what I need. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and because it's John Cena, he just keeps saying like sports mottos to her. Oh God. So he's like, there's no I in team, but there's an I in win. And she's like, what are you saying? <laughs> or like you miss 100% of the shots you don't take she's like this is not this talking is not dirty thing. but the point being like not only do you is it important that you communicate what you want but you also need to understand that your partner might not 100% know how to give it to you and that's also an important part of communication that's the second piece of communication and so one is like from the last episode communicating what you want the second piece is not being critical of your partner and not expecting your partner to know exactly what you mean by dirty talk or even, you know, touch me harder, kiss me harder, grab me in a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, that expectation just because you're in a long term relationship doesn't really make any sense. And on the flip side of it, because we're talking about this being a partnership, on the one hand, you have to not be critical of your partner. On the other hand, partner, try not to take it personally if your partner needs something different or asks for something different because you are just two evolving sexual beings and it's not a criticism, it's an exploration. It's true. It's true. And I'll, I'll just point out to a recent study that I actually just did at UConn of 680 young men and women and non-binary folks as well. And what struck me in this study is that young men are reporting higher levels of concerns about performance and self-consciousness and lack of confidence than women when talking about sexuality, which tells me that men want more communication too, that men need more communication as well, mm -hmm. and that this is something that we have put sexuality and sexual communication in a box. And in fact, what's happening is it seems to me that across genders and across orientations, people want to open that box. They want to see what's inside and explore all the possibilities of sexuality. And so this whole myth of, oh, my partner should know, well, tell them. Right. And then you'll have a heck of a lot more fun in the bedroom. Promise me that. <laughs> so one of the other things that we want to talk about here is that recognition. Sexual communication can be really awkward. And the first conversation might be really, really, really awkward. Yeah, it's sort of breaking the seal. <laughs> <laughs> but like anything, creating a healthy pattern of opening that you know avenue for communication makes it easier with time. It does. And um, some people might say, well... Um, what if I want to switch it up? Is that going to make my f partner feel inadequate? Um, is it going to make them feel bad? And in fact, when I do, did my um, thesis work at Rhode Island College, I actually interviewed a number of women aged 20 to 52 about their sexual communication and their sexual assertiveness. And every single one of them expressed concerns about their partner feeling bad if they expressed a different need, if things weren't quite right. And the response to that simply was, let's be a little kind, okay? There's a way to communicate kindly, gently. And instead of saying, you're doing it wrong, maybe you say, hey, 
what you were doing before was really, really right. Not for nothing. But I think it's fair to say that your partner would rather you have a conversation with them about what works and what makes you feel good than for you to fake an orgasm, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, which is never a good idea for anyone. For anyone. And the research shows that that men and women fake orgasms, just to to put that out there. Mm -hmm. So... While she's in no way a sexuality expert or a therapist, I'm going to invoke the words of Brene Brown, my spirit guide, who in many ways led me to this space I'm in right now. And what she says is, choose the uncomfortable conversation over resentment, which I would edit to say, choose the uncomfortable conversation over being sexually frustrated or sexually dissatisfied. I think, too, just to bring this back to the kind of media lens, because I like to do that. How many times have you seen this storyline in movies and in TV shows where, you know, a partnership doesn't work or or an affair happens or someone cheats on their partner because they're sexually dissatisfied? And instead of having a conversation with their partner, they stray because they're like, you know, it's easier to find someone new and exciting. And, And the truth is you can create new and exciting with your partner if you are willing and open to talk about it and ask for what you want. Well, and that's the other piece of this. So the first thing I said was to be kind, Mm -hmm. right? To be kind. And also, since we're rolling into the Thanksgiving season, show gratitude, right? Show appreciation for when you're with a partner and the experience is awesome. The second piece of that is to be curious in long-term relationships, to be curious about novelty, to be curious about exploration, and to be curious about um, allowing both you and your partner to explore new adventures sexually. I want to go back to what you said about gratitude because I think that's really important. And I think, you know, it's easy sometimes to treat your partner as, you know, kind of rolled into you. Instead of treating them as a separate person that you can be appreciative towards and you can be grateful towards. Um, And so communicating that appreciation in the way that you would communicate appreciation around them planning a nice date or making you a nice meal. It's like they're also taking your needs into consideration in this this sexual realm and they deserve to be appreciated for that, too. So important. And, you know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, you know, I'm not I don't want to be like a porn star. I don't want to be. ooh, ah, that feels great. That's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is just like you would say, oh, my gosh, you took all that time to make this wonderful meal for me and it was yummy and delicious. Yeah. Why can't we say that after a fantastic sexual experience? Yeah, right. I mean, especially if your partner is learning something new, trying something new with you, they deserve to be applauded. Like, you, you this is your person. This is your partner. This is someone you trust and, trust and that you're intimate with. Tell them good job. You know, it's like, um, what is that movie? It's, uh, I think it's Friends with Benefits with Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. And he gets her a balloon that says congrats after they hook up. <laughs> and she's like, you got me a balloon? He's like, yeah, because you did a good job. Well, and it's so true. And I think if you think of it in those terms, Shannon, suddenly sexual communication maybe isn't that hard. So maybe start with your sexual communication with this gratitude aspect, and then it becomes easier to have the conversations about what more you might want. Yeah. So, hey, I'm really grateful. This That was awesome. Could we try it this way next time? Mm-hmm. And so that's when we move into the the curiosity aspect of long-term relationships. Well, and we talked about this last time where we talked about um, 
how there could be an enthusiastic maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's coming back into play here is that there might be something that your partner is curious about doing or excited or intrigued by doing. And you can enthusiastically say, maybe we can give it a shot. But if I don't like it. And and kind of like um, trying a new flavor of ice cream. If you take a small taste, you might just discover a new favorite treat. <laughs> or you might hate it and never have it ever again, but at least you tried it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And and that's that's part of the critical aspect of long-term relationships is when you talked about people straying and you talked about people cheating, a lot of times in long-term relationships, people get settled and they get bored and they get in a routine. In psychology, they call that habituation. Mm-hmm. And Esther Perel, who is phenomenal sex therapist and counselor who wrote Mating in Captivity, find her on TED Talks, talks about how the long-term relationships, the stability, the comfort, the commitment can often be the death knell of sexual desire. And the way we get around that, that death knell is to embrace some novelty. Sorry, I'm just taking that in. Um, <laughs> uh, so mating in captivity is what you said it was called? Yeah, yeah. And and she, t- she talks about long-term relationships and how we crave them and we crave that safe space. Like you said, Shannon, you, people tend to crave, not all people, but many do, they want that person. Mm-hmm. And, but when you have that person, oftentimes we find like we've lost sexual desire. We're not walking around sexually aroused all the time, especially after that first period of new relationship energy and passionate love. You're in this wonderful phase of committed love. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes that level of desire is more underneath the surface than it is when you first meet someone. The Gottman Institute does a really good job talking about relationships and they're a great follow um, on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, the Gottman Institute. But I remember one of the posts of theirs that I read that really resonated with me was that you should never stop dating your partner. And that's that idea of, you know, flirting and like showing attraction and, you know, yeah, like wanting to make out because you're just excited to be around the person. Like that's something that you should try to keep alive, even in the settledness, even in the extreme comfort, like don't forget the fun parts of dating when you're within a long-term relationship. Remember that it's still fun to flirt and it's still fun to get excited about being together. And it's like any other practice, right? We talk about sexual positivity being a practice. Sexual communication is a practice too. Mm-hmm. To start, maybe start small, start with um, start with the text in the morning. Like, hey, you looked really hot when you left the house today, mm-hmm. you know, or a text in the afternoon saying, I'm thinking about you. Those little types of sexual communications are not as awkward and are not as hard. And it's the kind of communication you do in the beginning of a relationship, right? You, you send pictures, you flirt, yeah. you tease, you say your butt looks really good. Come back here. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I won't say it out loud, but dad does have a great hockey butt. Um, (laughs) Shout out to hockey. Uh, What is a hockey butt? I've never heard of a hockey butt. Oh, God. It's just what happens when you skate a lot. Um, (laughs) Make sure dad shares this to all of his uh, social media. Maybe he might not appreciate it. Can't wait for that fan account to get started. But the way to have novelty in a long-term relationship is once again to communicate about it. And to have that vulnerability when you watch something like, um, you know, a new video, a new show, or you read something in the magazine about a new, and and you know what, it's okay, new position, new lube, new toy. Just not starfish. <laughs> Just not starfish. 
Well, for some, maybe starfish with some restraints, but that'll be another episode too. But the point being, sexual communication leads to sexual satisfaction. And the research shows consistently that sexual satisfaction leads to greater life satisfaction and greater happiness. There was a study done in 2004, international, 29 countries, Mm. 27,000 people. And that association between sexual satisfaction and happiness held true across cultures, across ages, across gender. Fascinating, right? Yeah, that's incredible. So, I mean, I think that... That's that myth is debunked, right? Your partner shouldn't necessarily know what you want, but you should develop the confidence in your relationship or your situationship or your wavership or whatever, whatever Tumblr wants to call your your <laughs> dynamic with whoever you're with. But you should feel comfortable talking through what you need with them and what they need with you, because ultimately improved sexual communication does lead to improved sexual satisfaction, which does lead to improved life satisfaction and happiness. So take a breath. You know, you can communicate your, with your partner about so many other things. You plan a trip. You plan what you're doing for a Friday night date. You know, you organize your life in so many ways. So take a breath and take that courage and realize that if this partner is your person and this partner, partner wants the best for you, that you should have the courage to have the uncomfortable conversation because I promise you it will get less uncomfortable as you have these conversations. And then you can refer to yourself as having having relationship 2.0. You are going to go to another level. When you sexually communicate, all of a sudden you expand who you are as a person and expand who you are as a couple. And that is a fantastic adventure. I think this is a great one. And You know, I I encourage anyone who's listening to this episode to also go back and listen to our episode on um, asking for what you want and understanding that asking for what you want is actually incredibly sexy and incredibly affirmative. And most of the time, your partner or partners will really appreciate it. Um, And, you know, continue to follow us because as we hear more feedback from our listeners and from our audience, we're going to continue to incorporate into our episodes the things you really want to hear about. And we are always excited to get your messages on socials at Sex Ed Debunked or send us any kind of message at sexeddebunked at gmail.com. And we will continue to, uh, you know, engage in this pillow talk. (laughs) And put another myth. Another myth put to bed. Put to bed. So. Da, 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 da. Hey. <laughs> so go home. Have some great conversations and um, you can do this. We believe in you. You got this. <laughs> All right. We'll talk Take to care. you soon. <laughs> oh, wait. And be grateful. Thanksgiving's coming up. <laughs> gobble, gobble. Thanks for tuning in for this week's episode of Sex Ed Debunked. During the course of our podcast, we have limited time together which means that unfortunately, many identities, groups, and movements may not be represented each week. The field of sexuality and gender orientations, identities, and behaviors are changing and growing rapidly, and we remain committed to being as inclusive as possible. Please remember that all of us, including us, are learning in this area and may occasionally slip up. We ask that we all continue to be kind to one another so that we can create a truly inclusive and accepting environment. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to us at Sex Ed Debunked on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Sex Ed Debunked is produced by Trailblaze Media along with myself, Shannon Curley, and Christine Curley. From Trailblaze Media, our engineering is handled by Ezra Winters.